Good morning. Today's reading is 1 King chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Solomon's Prayer for Wisdom. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statue of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibbon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibbon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in upright of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, and who is able to govern this your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. 
glad to be back church and preaching. My name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, before I begin, I would like to say thank you to this congregation uh, for the last month or so. Uh, the meals, the prayers, uh, the visits, even the jokes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I had hip replacement surgery 31 days ago. Um, I am grateful. I'm 43 years old, hip replacement. The doctor looked at me and said, you're my second youngest patient in the last two years. I, I needed it. Um, I was in pain for the past seven years. Couldn't get in and out of my car. Couldn't climb up the stairs without pain or even stand and do this without uh, significant pain. My kids were tying my shoes. And uh, if you were behind me in traffic, it was difficult for me to go from the brake to the gas, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I am grateful. I don't write reviews often, but I will write a review on this doctor because he was very good. Um, thank God for him and the skill that he had. Um, he asked me over probably 50 times that day, what leg are we operating on? <laughs> he made sure he signed his initials and marked my leg up because we all know ain't nothing like halfway through that dream. <laughs> You know, nothing like waking up after a surgery and the doctor says, listen, man, we owe you one, bro. <laughs> we did the wrong leg. <laughs> right? So I was grateful. Um, my wife and family took a good care of me, my RCs, all those people. Uh, very grateful. Uh, very grateful of the progress I've made. So thank you. Um, thank you. The nurse said when I woke up, the first thing I said after coming out of anesthesia, you know, you know when you come out, right? Uh, I asked her, can I go play soccer now? She said, not today. <laughs> um, thankful, very thankful. So thank you all. I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Let us pray and we'll, we'll dive into the word of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. Lord, I pray that you recenter our minds on you. Lord, let this sermon that you have put inside of me um, through the Holy Spirit and through the study over the past few weeks. Um, uh, let me just be a mouthpiece this morning, oh Lord. Lord, if there's one person who needs to hear what is what you put in my heart to say this morning, Lord, make that clear. Make the words clear, Lord. I pray that our seeds are planted in the hearts of many here today. Um, I am grateful. This is not the musings of a mid-aged, middle-aged man. Uh, I pray that Lord, you use me mightily this morning in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I always start by saying, James chapter 3, verse 1, says to me and to every person that occupies this space in a service behind the pulpit that not many people should strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly. Can I get an amen? amen? What I'm going to do in the next 30 minutes, I will be judged for before God. So I do take my time uh, to prepare and pray so that I do accurately uh, communicate the word of God without fear and, 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 and a tremendous amount of courage uh, to do this. Have you ever been tempted or have taken an IQ test? Where are you? <laughs> have you been tempted to take an IQ test? IQ tests measure a person's intelligence and an ability to reason, their ability to reason, right? 
we can use the information in our minds to, 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 and logic to solve problems, to answer questions, and to predict what is coming. IQ tests are used to, to sometimes admit students into public school. They're used in a number of ways to, 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 like I said, to measure people's intelligence. But there are also several other tests that have come in the last few years that are called Q tests, right? If you've heard of them, you know, right? The EQ test, right? The EQ is your emotional quotient, right? The ability to understand and use and manage your own emotions in positive ways to help relieve your own stress, to communicate to others effectively, and to empathize with others, to overcome challenges. Have you ever sat in a conversation with somebody and you're explaining, you're pouring your heart out, and they tell you their, their, their situation as well? For example, if you're, if you're, if you're sitting in and you said, man, man, I had a rough week. My, my cousin passed away, my aunt passed away, and that person says, you know what? <laughs> my cousin passed away too, my aunt passed away. That's a lack of emotional intelligence. All the CQ, which is cultural intelligence, the ability to relate and work effectively with others across cultures, bearing sim similarities to, to, to help understand, to help bridge the gap between people who come from different cultures. So there is IQ, there is EQ, there is CQ, and I think there is SQ, there's so many Qs. If you possess a high IQ, a high EQ, and a high CQ, you are well sought out in our society right now for employment, and you're able to find great success in the workplace. But God does not demand all of those things, even though they are great. What he demands, what he asks of us, is, is a life of wisdom. Solomon, in the passage, D, thank you, I know it's 15 verses there. Thank you, my sister. God bless you. Um, <laughs> Solomon is about, in, in, in 1 Kings chapters 1, 2, and 3, Solomon is about to ascend to the throne. He is about to be king, right? He's about to take on a position of leadership, and he is about to embark on his journey. His father was king, right? And he says, well... <laughs> I don't know if he says, Lord, I need CQ, I need IQ, I need EQ, or every other Q, but he says, Lord, he asked God for something. He asked God for the ability to care for his people. He asked for wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, for wisdom, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. In the book of 1 Kings, Kind of in the middle of you, when, when you, I don't know if you've done, if you read through the Bible in a year or if you've done certain like, something like that. When you get to those books, they, they can seem repetitious because it's this king and that king and this king and that king. This king ruled over Israel for this many years. It seems like a, almost like a fact book. The book of First Kings talks about when the kingdom of God, when the people of Israel split and Solomon takes over. He's the first king. David dies, right? And Solomon takes over. Solomon, God gives wisdom. He writes poetry. He writes the Proverbs, by the way, right? It's, it, the book is filled with Israel's history. It talks about David's demise. It also gives us hints into the king, the lives of the kings. I always tell you this when we talk Old Testament, Old Testament narratives, the stories in the Old Testament, the way the writers wrote them was to give you, to invite all of us through time into a place of discovery, right? In this story, 
in the first three verses, the author is trying to tell you something about King Solomon, right? He kind of he gives you a thesis of King Solomon's life in two or three verses, and then it goes on to open what Solomon does. It invites you into discovery. It's a story within a story. It leaves clues. Pick me up in verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read up to verse 3 right now. It previews Solomon the person. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh the king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the law, the house of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. It's a couple of highlighted. Can you go back to verse 1 for me, James? Thank you. It's a couple of things I want you to point out there as you are reading. Solomon it says, made a marriage alliance. In some, in some translations, it says, he, be, he became the son-in-law of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. He became Pharaoh's son-in-law. Basically, the marriage is not a romantic marriage. It is a marriage of political alliance. It is a military marriage. And, and, and when you read that, you don't quite catch it. I want you to catch it this morning, right? That they're previewing Solomon's life when it comes to marriages, by the way, right? Right? It's not a loving marriages. When, when, when political alliances and marriages took place between kingdoms, it came with a lot of other extra things, like foreign gods. It came with, it came with political and religious kind of, you're, you're, you're taking on another family for political reasons. This was forbidden, by the way, in the law of the Israelites. God told them, when you're a king, do not marry. Do not intermarry with the neighbors because it shows a lack of trust. That's what God is saying. Both David and Saul did not do this. The high places, I, 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 we say that we're still there. When he says he took, that word took, by the way, sorry, go back real quick. That word took means he, she was forcibly taken. He, she did not want to go. She was taken from her, from her family in order for them to get this political alliance between Israel and Egypt. The high places. Sometimes when you read, don't skip over this, right? These were shrines. These were places that people did festivals and offered sacrifices to pagan gods and deities. Human sacrifices took place in these high places. So for him to offer sacrifices in the same place that other humans were sacrificed to other deities is wrong. God had expressly told the people of Israel, do not use those places to worship me. The author of the book, ladies and gentlemen, is narrating, is trying to tell us Solomon's story by giving you the end, right? And then it unwinds it for you, amen? They're leaving clues. He's, he's trying to engage you. He wants to draw you in. The brief story of Solomon we're going to talk about this morning, right? And Solomon, he says, Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God gives him the wisdom, Right? This story, by the way, takes place almost 2,000, I'm not a mathematician, 2,960 years ago, I think, approximately about 3,000 years ago, right? So the question becomes, what can you and I learn from a king 
a polygamous king from 3,000 years ago. You kind of, uh, you, you know, he did this, he did that. We want to toss him out, right? What can we learn? I will attempt to bridge the cultural, lingu- linguistic, and time gaps so you can, we can have some applicable truths this morning as we leave. Because this passage has, I believe, answers three questions. It asks us three questions and answers three questions. See, are they? If you're a note taker, here we go. The first question I'm going to answer this morning is, what is wisdom? The second one, why do we need wisdom? And the third, how do we acquire wisdom? What is wisdom? The Hebrew word is hukmah, right? Wisdom is described as practical knowledge, the, the ability to, to have a decision-making skill and to understand the possibilities and limits of humanity. The dictionary definition is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment, the quality of being wise. Whenever dictionaries start giving you different commas in, 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 the, in the definition of a word, they're having trouble kind of expressing the word. Solomon asked for this. Right? He doesn't specifically ask for knowledge. He asks actually for an understanding mind and, and the ability to discern between good and evil. Right? This is the definition of wisdom. The ability to discern between good and evil. The NIV says between right and wrong. This as, as when Solomon asked for this, God gives it to him. We, we read the passage. God gives it to him, right? And the, 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 next, the next paragraph over, it, talks, it gives a great, great story, the famous story that we all know. We won't dwell there today, right? Two prostitutes come to Solomon. There is one baby, and they're and they both claiming the baby is theirs. One of them is lying. One of them is telling the truth, and he cannot tell the difference, right? The wisdom that he has, God, he asked God, Lord, what, 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 do we, what do we do here with these two women and this baby? One woman says, well, let's, let's, he says, well, let's split the baby in half, give half to one person and half to the other. Seems kind of cruel, but it brings out the truth in one of them. And it brings out the lie in the other one. Right? One says, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's just chop the baby up. Nobody who ever had a baby is going to be willing to chop their baby up and take half because it's, it's no good for either of them. When wisdom is present, ladies and gentlemen, we get into situations when we're in a jam and we can't see past our circumstances, right? When we're tempted to want to do the, the convenient, the practical, the selfish, wisdom affords us, affords us a higher perspective, a different view. When we're tempted to take a different road, when we're stuck, as Americans would say, stuck between a rock and a hard place, a frying pan and a fire, right? There's a voice that says, have you looked at this? Have you thought about this? That's the voice of wisdom. I used to have an old friend. He was older than me. He always said this, and I always laughed, but he, he was serious. When he was about to do something that he knew go, goes against right and wrong, he would, say, he would say, when he was about to get in an argument with somebody, he would say, listen, I know the address to the high road, but I just can't find it right now. <laughs> he said, these people are going to give me permission to lose the address to the high road. Knowing the wise thing to do, ladies and gentlemen, and not doing it is also very foolish. Wisdom is the ability to discern right from wrong and the ability to actually act on it. That's what wisdom is. So why do we need wisdom? Why do we need wisdom? There are things in our world today, and I imagine in in, in years past, 
that the Bible just does not address specifically. There is not a chapter and verse on everything that we should specifically go up. You can't go to the Bible and punch it in, and then it gives you a verse. What should I do in this situation? Here's your answer. Who should I marry? Here it goes. (laughs) Might not like the picture, right? (laughs) What should I do in this situation? Do I buy a house in this neighborhood? Do I take this job? All these kinds of things. There are many issues where it feels like the scale is not right and wrong, but it's actually good, better, best. That's when you need wisdom, right? This is when we desperately need wisdom because our lives, we all know, are filled with choices, are filled with decisions, and we have feelings, and we have relationships, and there are seasons in our lives. All these things factor into the decisions we make. Sometimes it isn't clear. It just is not clear what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong in situations. I know, for example, this often happens when we're selecting jobs or thinking of moving. Sometimes you have two great job offers or you have two great places to move and you can't decide. What do you do if there's not a chapter or a verse? Wisdom. Wisdom and counsel from friends and, 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 and people who are ahead of you in life and people who you trust who are Christians and community and the word of God over time seeps into your body and when you ask for God in your mind it's not the IQ or the CQ or the whatever Q it's something that is undefinable that becomes a part of your life and it helps you make decisions that are both pleasing to God and great for you These can be little decisions or they can be huge decisions. In the summer of 2008, I packed my car up in the state of Maryland in Baltimore and drove to Denver. I had just come from France and I didn't have, I'll tell you this right now, I'm not even ashamed to tell you, we family, I had $770 in my life. I didn't have enough money. I wanted to go to Denver. I wanted to live in Denver. I didn't have money to go back. Back then, gas prices were $350. Well, they're $350 now. I didn't pray about that decision. I didn't seek out wisdom. I didn't do anything. I wanted to move to Denver, and I said, you know what, nothing. I, I, actually, I didn't want to pray about it because I didn't want God to say, oh, maybe next year, son. No, <laughs> I'm doing it, right? Foolishness. Absolute foolishness. Some of you are in that boat right now. You're tempted to make a decision that's foolish. We pray. Proverbs 3 says this, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And it's better to gain wisdom than to have silver or gold. We need, we need wisdom because some decisions take courage. You know there's going to be criticism. You know there's going to be societal pressure, right? When the decision isn't black or white, if you're in leadership here, you know these, you know these circumstances. You need wisdom. You don't have to go far to, 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 to live in our world and know that we are depraved of wisdom, especially with when it comes to youth, especially when we are young, right? A preacher once said to me, he said, <laughs> he, he was preaching, he said, I want you to think of your 15-year-old self. If you're 15, God bless you. <laughs> think of your 15-year-old self. What decisions 
What desires did you have at 15? Think of your 18-year-old self, the things that you thought were great for you then. When you're 30, you look back and say, man, what foolishness, right? If you're over 35, think of your 25-year-old self, the things that you wanted, people that you wanted to date, except places that you wanted to go, things you wanted to do. When you look back on them, you think, that was foolish. The preacher goes on to say, whatever age you are, think about what percentage of the things that you think are good now, that in 10 years you'll look back and say they are foolish. I don't care if you're 45, you're 55, we all need wisdom, we all need community, we all need the word of God to guide us. When I was 18 years old, I had graduated high school, didn't have a plan to go to college, I'm working at Burger King, I've been promoted to manager at this point, um, I was off the fries, I was off cleaning the floors, you know, I'm the, I'm the breakfast manager, which basically I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not demeaning Burger King, that's just how it works, right? I was making 15, 15 cents more an hour, that just meant I had to wake up at 4.30 to open a restaurant, <laughs> nobody else was doing that. And sometimes I would work late, and 11 or 12 at night, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was outside of Washington, D.C., um, and my friends would invite me to these parties. Yo, come on, man, this is what we do, you know what I'm saying? This is what we're doing, come on, let's go out, let's go out. So I said, all right, I'll go out one night, I remember going out, we, we, we got to this party, and it was in someone's apartment. <laughs> and <laughs> as soon as I walked into the apartment, I realized the street pharmacist had just been there. There was stuff on the table I only seen in the movies. And I looked at this situation, I thought, if the police were to show up right now, everybody here is going somewhere that they don't want to be. I got to get out of here, right? I was so anxious to be wanted, to be cared for, to be, to be, to be a part of a group when it, it would have cost me my life. I'm going to give you some practicals right now and, and just walk through stories of, of, of decisions that people have made in the past and, and people are making now to help you better understand wisdom. When I, when I was in seminary, <coughs> they would periodically have missionaries come from around the world there was a missionary who came from a country that I, I, I can't quite name, but in that country, the country is extremely closed off, but he was able to get in, and several other ministries, several other missionaries were able to get into that country, and in that country, every once or twice a year, I don't remember, it was a holiday or whatever, but they had to, everybody in the country had to get out and go to a bronze statue of the leader of the country and bow down to the statue. Whether you liked it or not, whether you believed it or not, obviously that goes against Christian values. God says, you know, the, the, the actual idol, right, is there, and you have to go and bow down to it. This missionary was conflicted. He said, man, I've been praying for this all my life. Here I am in this country. I finally got the visa. I finally get in. I want to continue my ministry. I want to do this. You know, what should I do? He talked to other, other uh, missionaries, and they said, well, we're going to do it because we believe that God's going to walk with us through it. We need to be here. God called us, and so we're going to stay. And he had trouble with that. He had prepared for this for years. He needed wisdom. He made a decision. Said, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to leave, and it cost, him his, it cost him everything. He got kicked out of the country. What do you do in those situations? You can be very practical, right? You can hope and pray and say, maybe they won't come to my house. Maybe that's an option. Maybe they won't knock on my door and say, why aren't you bound to the, to the idols? Seems very simple. 
Another case is the, the case of the classic case of ethics in, in, in Christianity when a missionary leaves here and goes, and goes to some places in Africa where, where they're, they're evangelizing a tribe of people who are, who are polygamists. A man has 10, 15 wives. It seems very simple, right? The Bible says one man, one woman, one wife. The Bible is very clear on that. So when you go as a missionary, do you, do you break up those families? Who cares for those children? Those women are all financially dependent on that one man. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's clear. If you break up those families, what happens to those kids? They will tell the story of my father became a Christian and now we can't eat. My mother got kicked out on the streets. Unsupported. Hungry, unschooled. They may not ever have an ear for the gospel beyond that. What do you do? African theologians, to, I'm going to butcher his name, and I'm African too. Go, Lord, man. <laughs> Tomboko Adeyedo and Isabel Fieri are great African theologians. If you want to read more about how they handle those situations with wisdom, you can read them. They have great insight on this subject. That subject is not far from where I grew up. As Christians, when we enter into our messy and broken world, we need godly wisdom for us to navigate, to represent God, and watch Him work. It will cost you. Wisdom will cost you. Following the Lord will cost you. But you need it. We need wisdom when things aren't plain black and white. We need to be able to discern, pick this up, between right and wrong. Specifically between. When things are between. You understand? Wisdom is the ability to discern between right and wrong, but also the ability to act on it. Sometimes when you think you have wisdom, you start acting your own practicality. You say, well, I can do this. I can, I can finagle this. I can do that. You don't know. The buzzword for the past 25 years or so, it started when I was in high school. It, it, it was a new branch, almost a new branch of, of study called ethics. Ethics in our lives, in our work, in our workplaces, in our business, right? Because as a society, as a world, we need common ground. We need a starting point for all of us to exist, right? Lawyers, doctors, business people, we all need some form of, some form of ethical behavior that governs all of our dis disciplines. And now all disciplines, most disciplines, I should say, have an ethics in their training, right? To determine right and wrong. To determine we need wisdom, we just need wisdom in our world. In our world today, technology has outpaced our morality. And we don't know how to solve that problem. Christians, this is my appeal to you this morning, right? When technology outpaces our, 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 just our moral values, we need wisdom. A few years ago, I was sitting in an office with Dr. James White. He's, he's an ethics professor at, at Baylor University. And I was sitting there, and I made the mistake of asking him, you know, what he was working on. Sometimes when, when, when you go to a professor's office and you ask him what I'm working on, they can, they can just storm off. And sure, he did. He says, he's working. This is going to break your heart, folks. He said, he's work, he was working at that time. This was five years ago, I mean, six years ago. He said, I am working on cases where parents are having their kids have eye surgeries to get their eyes better so they can get college scholarships in baseball. 
Y'all missed that. High school kids were getting surgeries on their eyes to get their eyes better so they could see the ball better, so they could get college scholarships. He's working on ethics, bioethics in that situation. We need wisdom. So working with Dr. Smith, who was, who was my mentor when I was in a seminary, he was teaching at the seminary and teaching at Harvard when Ebola, when the Ebola crisis hit in West Africa, and I'm sitting there, he's asking me to produce all these articles and print all these articles for him, and I'm, and I'm doing, he's working with doctors, and they're trying to determine which people would work with Ebola patients. Who gets to treat them? Who gets to opt out? You know, do those people, the, the, the doctors who treat those patients with, with, with this fatal disease, do they get to go home, and if they have kids and their kids go to school, is that, is that risk opening up? Do you follow what I'm trying to say? You just, we need, we need Christians in every arena. It's what I'm trying to get to you. If you, a, a wise Christian is needed in the law office, it's needed in the doctor's office, it's needed in academia, it's needed everywhere. Not everybody is going to preach sermons. Not everybody is going to be in campus ministry. Not everybody is going to be in Christian ministry. But you all need wisdom to live, to love God's people. This is why we need wise Christians living their faith in the workplace. We need wise Christians in different arenas and all different places so that when, when the bottom line comes up and practicality seems to take the will, you can step up and say, well, maybe there is another way. Christians working out the nuances between what is right and what is wrong. Or as Solomon would say in verse 9, Lord, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern your great people. We need wisdom in different areas because the lives of God's people um, are, are, are sometimes in our hands. Just as Solomon is asking God for wisdom to lead, some of us need to ask for wisdom to do whatever, whatever work we're doing because it affects people particularly here for our college students who are trying to decide what major to go into and you're, you're, you wanted, you're tempted to separate the secular and the sacred. Don't. You may not think of yourself as a king or a queen, but we all have a responsibility for God's people. And whatever your arena is, like I said, all of life we see around here is all for Jesus. Right? We need a compass in a world that's just spinning. We need to be able to pass down wisdom to our kids to live in this world. Solomon, in verse 7, says this. And Lord, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I am but a little child. I do not know how to come in or go out. The last question I'm going to address this morning as we, as we go through this is, how do we acquire wisdom? Proverbs 9 to 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is the one who gives wisdom. He knows us. He decides what is right and what is wrong. Right? He knows your heart. He knows the way he can move. James chapter 1 verse 5 comforts me in this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given unto him. God is so generous in this arena that we are so lacking. It's like you walk into a room hungry and you just see food all over the wall. Back to the beginning of this story. 
question I always ask myself, maybe that's you're asking yourself that. If God gives wisdom generously to everyone that asks, if Solomon asks, why didn't God save him from himself? Solomon, here's, here's why. Solomon does not stay dependent on God. God makes a promise to Solomon that, hey, I'm going to give you the wisdom. Not only am I going to give it to you, because you didn't even ask for, for riches and long life, I'm going to give that to you also. But in verse 14, God is very clear. Don't miss this. This is a little word in English. Verse 14. It says, and if you will walk in my ways, this is God talking, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, I will lengthen your days. The promise, the gift of wisdom to Solomon is conditional. If you continue to walk with me, you will live this life. But if you start falling away, I can't help you. As the story unfolds, we'll see, in the begin, as we saw in the beginning, God, his love for God dims and his love for marriages and, and, and political alliances and a greater kingdom grows. His lack of trust in God grows despite what God had done for him. Ultimately, it, it just, it, it, the sin in the world, the sin, it just consumes him. He marries hundreds of wives. He enters into multiple political alliances because the fact of the matter is he trusts the marriages and the alliances more than he trusts God, even though God had given him something. He said, maybe you said, right now you're saying, oh, but that's Solomon. How about you and I? God gives us something, but yet all of a sudden we're, we're on the streets. Not physically, but you're, you're looking for something else to depend on, something more practical, something more right now. You're looking for the microwave. You just want to put it in beep, 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 and get it out. Done. Our world can overtake us if you aren't vigilant in your pursuit of God. Our lives can begin to erode into things that we don't recognize because we cease to pursue God. I'm begging you this morning, stay with God. In our current society, you and I know this, we're inundated with information. You can, get, you, can, you, can, you can get cultural IQ, you can get emotional IQ, you can learn, you can better yourself, you can Google anything and get answers. Choose to live differently. Develop relationships, provide you, relationships that will provide you path to wisdom. I'm not demonizing Google because I love Google myself. It's a tool, right? Google can, Google, Google can provide you a one-sided relationship, but it doesn't give you a relationship like God can give you. I know you know that's a straw man. I understand that. Spiritual dependence on Google is not wise. I don't know if, <laughs> if you're like me, right? Something, immediately something happens to you. You start to get a little call for something. WebMD. <laughs> oh, what a rabbit trail. Don't, don't, don't be there, right? We're here. There's so much information coming at us. God says, if you want wisdom, ask me. Ask me. Wisdom comes in a number of ways, if you want to take this. 
in discipleship relationships, in mentorships. Find somebody, find a group, read your Bible, find people that are further along in the Christian journey than you are. They don't have to be older than you, but it does help they have a little bit of snow up top to walk with you. I love people older than me because they're able to see things, right? When I was a middle school teacher, I was just surprised at how many kids would do things that I knew where the end result was going to be. You see it. We need wisdom. We acquire wisdom by humbly asking God. Like Solomon says, Solomon says, I am a child. And you have called me to lead these people that I know you care about. Can you please help me, Lord? Have you got to that point in your life where you said, Lord, can you help me? This passage says two things. One of the first things is, what, is, what does this passage say about us through, through King Solomon 3,000 years ago? It says we are prone to wander and depend on other things. We are, we are so quick to find an easy answer. As life goes, I don't know if it, it, one of the saddest things that I see in, in, in my life, and I've seen a number of times, is someone who starts off as a Christian, and then at the end of their life, they're not. Or they make such poor decisions, and they don't finish well. It happens. You see it in David. You see it in Saul. Now you're seeing it in Solomon. Stick with the Lord. We serve a God that was wise enough to give up his son years ago so that we may be saved when everybody in that situation didn't think it was wise didn't think jesus was king when he was hanging on that cross what's the wisdom in that how is that practical god knows when you sit with people who have wisdom you can just see it it, it just oozes out of them what does this passage say about god because god looks at the heart in verses 11 to 14, he walks through, he said, Solomon, I see your heart at this point. Because you haven't asked for riches and long life, I will give you wisdom. I will give you this thing. God is so loving. He gives us more than we can ever ask or imagine. If you desire wisdom this morning, ask God. He gives us, I will repeat this, more than we can ever ask for or imagine. He really does. It was 2004 as I close out this morning. I told you the story a hundred times. I'll tell you, I was sitting at a youth retreat with sixth graders and we're praying this prayer. You know, God sent one of these kids <laughs> into ministry and I just felt this tug in my heart. You're not praying for these kids. You're actually praying for yourself. My coach, one of my coaches used to say, sometimes God calls you collect. If you're, if you're less than 30, you may not understand that one, <laughs> right? Sometimes God calls you collect, and you know when you pick up the phone, it's going to cost you. But wisdom says you pick up the phone and let God lead. Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love for us. Thank you for your wisdom that you, that you poured out to Solomon. Heavenly Father is a tale that we see that you, you, you give, you give, you give more than he could have ever asked or imagined. You do the same for us, provided if we stay with you, we seek you, we stay, we follow, we continue to pursue, we yearn.
Lord, I pray this morning that we all leave here this morning understanding the definition of wisdom, but understanding how we get wisdom, how we keep wisdom, and why we need wisdom. I pray that we're able to see those things in our workplaces this week, in the issues that aren't very clear, right and wrong, that you will move with us, move beside us. In Jesus' name, amen.